Welcome to the Goodness Podcast, the Middle East first platform dedicated to tackling women's health in a real and honest way. I'm your host, Noor Tahini. My guest on the podcast today is Anisha Oberoi, founder of Secret Skin. Anisha launched the e-commerce discovery platform for sustainable beauty after recovering from a battle with breast cancer. And she's here today to share some insights into starting your own business in 2020, no less, how to overcome entrepreneurial doubt and imposter syndrome, and how to maintain some semblance of balance in your life when you're just starting out. Welcome, Anisha. Hi, Noor. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you. Just to kick things off, could I ask you in your own words to explain explain what Secret Skin is to our audience? Well, it's in two parts. I'll tell you why I chose the word secret skin, and then I'll tell you what it actually means for the world, for the customer on the outside. Go ahead. So, you know, the secret skin is usually our innermost self, which we hide from the world. And it's usually the purest and the strongest part of us, but the world doesn't get to see it. Mm. So secret skin is all about self-love. It's about embodiment and resolution uh, of virtues and values. And I felt that it was a very good fit with what we were trying to create. On the outside, Secret Skin is a discovery platform where customers in the Middle Eastern region can discover beautiful, clean beauty brands from around the world, Mm. whether it's skincare, personal care, hair care, and makeup, but all clean, sustainable, non-toxic beauty. Amazing. And you you just launched two months ago, right? Yes. Yesterday we hit two months. Congratulations. Thank you. How many brands do you have on the site? We have nine at the moment. Okay. And they are all sustainable clean yes. beauty brands. So they are sustainable clean beauty brands because they practice sustainability across the various elements of the flywheel. For example, they provide microeconomies to indigenous tribes that wild mm-hmm. harvest the ingredients that go into the product. They reduce the carbon footprint on the environment by having a sustainable supply chain. They ethically source the ingredients in order to create the formulations. Mm. They insist on very high standards and conscious credibility, as it's called, to make sure that there are no harmful substances in the formulations, that the products are safe for the planet and they're safe for you. Mm. So this concept is called clean beauty. And that's what we try to bring to the Middle Eastern region. Nice. I think we were discussing this earlier, but the one of the issues with the term clean beauty is that it's not really regulated, right? And so there's clean beauty, non-toxic beauty, sustainable beauty. I don't know if I said green beauty, but there's so many different terms that are all non-regulated. And that yes. kind of makes the field a little bit more complicated for the for the end user. I think that there's only one standard that you should maintain. Does the product have toxic ingredients in Mm -hmm. it? Do you read the word sulfates, parabens? Do you know that there are carcinogenic elements in the product that you're using that are ultimately going to impact your fertility and uh, create a disruption in your hormones? I think today's consumer has the knowledge of the toxicity that most personal care products carry that are targeted at men and women. And uh, the knowledge is evolving. So green, yes, because it's self-explanatory. Clean, yes, because it's clean and transparent. It has a product integrity, mm-hmm. you know, which is transparent for the consumer. Everything else is a matter of what region regulates what um, guideline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you found that the UAE here, because this is where you, your business is, at, is set up, correct? Yes. Have you found that the UAE has any requirements around the way that you market or brand yourself when it comes to clean beauty or not yet? I think they're getting there. Mm. I think that the regulations are getting stricter and tighter. The guardrails are definitely improving. But skincare is considered as pharma in this region. So in order to retail it and sell it on your platform or even distribute it, you have to go through a stringent process with the Dubai Mm. municipality in order to have the paperwork wetted, in order to declare uh, all the ingredients, the origin of the manufacturer. So I have a lot of faith in the process, even though it's incredibly slow and cost prohibitive and labor intensive. Mm-hmm. But still, I feel that if you can register your product here in the Middle East, you can register it anywhere. So almost everyone I've spoken to this year has had a business idea. Uh-huh. I think it's probably a result of just us having more space to think and to like, allow our thoughts to go places and, and being exposed to new sort of living conditions. 
but not every idea is a good idea and not every idea makes it into a business, whether successful or not. So I wanted to know, how did the idea come to you and how did you know it was an idea worth pursuing? And in your opinion, what makes an idea worth pursuing? A couple of different answers because it's basically a marriage of your left brain and your right brain. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about something, a business will not succeed. An idea will not be impactful if it doesn't really come from within the core of you. You have to be motivated and passionate and you have to live drink, eat, sleep, dream that idea and breathe life into it. On the other side, if it's something that the market doesn't have a demand for, mm. or if it doesn't have a different value proposition or a competitive advantage or a unique positioning, then it will not succeed. So you have to be both intelligent about it and you have to be cerebral, but you also have to be emotional for it to succeed. Mm. I would say that for anyone thinking about a new idea, you have to actually nosedive inside of yourself to ask yourself, why do you think that it's important? Important for the world and then important for you because it needs legs. And it was a really, as you said, emotional, it has like a sort of an emotional grounding within you because it came about from your battle with breast cancer in your case. Yes. Secret Sin story is really my story, Noor. So 10 years ago when I was battling with breast cancer, I was very demotivated and deflated and raw about the different changes that my body was experiencing as a result of the toxicity of the medication that I was being administered. And I was not able to use any conventional personal care or beauty products to camouflage that. It frustrated me. But my desperation, I think, became my inspiration. I knew one day when I was ready I would uh, create something for women like myself to address the deficit that I was experiencing by creating a value that the world could trust. I didn't know what it looked like. It took me 10 years to arrive yeah. at it. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't realize that it was that long in the making. It was that long in the making, but it was subconscious. In fact, even last year, I've only been in Dubai almost two years now, right? Mm. It's quite new. Had you asked me last year, this time, that uh, let me tell you something, by next year this time, the world will be in the throes of a pandemic that will hit the world in waves and you will launch your own e-commerce platform, I would have laughed you out of the room. <laughs> but I moved here after spending five incredible years with Amazon because they hired me a little after my graduation. I used to live in Singapore, so they hired me after INSEAD. And I joined the founding team to launch Amazon Fashion in 2014 in India. I also had the opportunity to do the same thing to replicate that model in Australia. I went through seven seasons of Fashion Week, which was uh, game-changing. And uh, by the time I decided to move here, literally for love and fresh air, might I add, I was um, interested in following that corporate career progression path. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that I would come here and continue. But I did not realize that I was breaking out of that corporate mold. My new self just did not serve my old self and needs anymore because I was coming up to my cancerversary. It, it would be 10 years. And I started to feel the spiritual struggle between money and meaning. And I said that I have good credentials. I have a good education. If I continue on this track, Yes, it will be a great data point on my resume, but what am I doing to give back? Mm. And in India, I used to work with uh, young women or young students in their MBA applications. So I used to work with patients in hospitals who were experiencing cancer for uh, you know in their own lives as well as for people that they were close to. And I felt very I felt that everything that I explored here was restrictive in its scope and uh, limited in its opportunity to contribute to the world. Mm. So literally, I said, by the end of it, after having a lot of failed explorations to find another corporate role, I said, if the perfect role doesn't exist that allows me to do this, I will create it. So we incorporated Secret Skin on the 26th of February 2020, before we went into lockdown. And by the 7th of October, we had already launched. That's amazing. 
That's a fast turnaround. Quite a ride. Yeah, that's that's a really fast turnaround. I was laughing when you were saying that you had to like sort of balance money and meaning because I feel like that's something that so many people who, would you call that? I think they call them social entrepreneurs. There's a, there's a term for people who are entrepreneurs, but who have like a, a mission that involves making the yes, world better. So that's, uh, that's, it's called social entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought it was yes. social entrepreneurship. There's always this balance where it's like, you've got one foot in like, um, nonprofit world yes. and then one foot in entrepreneurial world yes. and you're trying to, to make it work, but at the same time, trying to keep the impact that you want to make. There's the a forefront. term that captures this really well. It's called, it's like a triple bottom line framework. So you focus on people planet and profit. Mm. So you prioritize social and environmental impact while still running a profitable business. But you know, you must believe this. I sincerely believe this. I live my life by it. When you create an effort that impacts the world and is value driven, there is a certain divine guidance and grace that accompanies it. You cannot fail. Mm. And that is what social entrepreneurs never lose sight of. Yeah, that's an, it's a beautiful thing to think of. And I, I hope you're right. But it's, I, it's funny, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week with the CEO of Whole Foods, and he just wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism, mm. which is basically similar, I guess, to a sort of social entrepreneurship. It's altruism. Yes. And it's uh, conscious capitalism is he was describing it as a win, win, win situation. So similar to what you were saying, it's a win for it's it's a it's sort of like a model where multiple people are winning and it's not just the company that's profiting. And I don't know enough about that model to say like to to share my thoughts on it. But I think it's, it's a it's a really it's a really interesting way forward. It's also led the it's led the uh, growth of impact investing. Mm -hmm. People understand the value of investing in founders that have a larger vision that will impact more than the PNL. Although it's slower than it should be, but there is a lot of hope and traction that things are going in the right direction. Yeah. You mentioned that you worked at Amazon for five years. I think Amazon is one of those companies that everyone is so interested right now because we just can't figure out what they're doing and how they're doing <laughs> it. And I was wondering, what are some of the, what, what did you learn in your previous job at Amazon that you've carried forward with you in Secret Skin? I think that it really created the blueprint for the startup. I would not have been able to scale in seven months and take it off the ground had I not known everything that I didn't mm. know. It looks like a, and it is a very large organization. It's a mothership. Mm. It's known as the mothership internally. No way. way. (laughs) Yeah. You are either successful at Amazon or you're not. Yeah. There are no two ways. There's no in between. You either sink or swim. So even though there is a larger uh, structure and ecosystem that you work within, everything that you do is very highly entrepreneurial. You are braiding the rope as fast as you're climbing it. Mm. There is a lot of merit on taking ownership for things that nobody else has done. There is a lot of focus on failing fast and scaling fast. Mm. Get to a yes fast, but get to a no faster. Mm. They encourage you to experiment and uh, you are constantly learning how to get better at the customer experience or becoming more data centric or analytical when you're evaluating the downstream impact of anything that you do. And the culture is one of day one. Every day is day one. It's a day one mentality. What does that mean? You know, when you start something for the first time, everything should have been done yesterday. Mm. You need everything done yesterday because you're constantly raising the bar and you're trying to, you're like a hamster in a wheel because you're doing everything on your own. You're wearing multiple hats and you're using all of yourself in order to gain traction in order to reach the objectives that you've set for yourself. So while there is a lot of structure and while the support exists, you really have to push yourself in order to achieve something. So you are the CEO, you're the janitor, you're the spot boy, you're the PR person, you're the uh, 
marketing whiz, you're the social media person, you're everything because it's very meritocratic. You get an opportunity mm. to do everything that you're good at doing. Do they invest a lot in your development or is it kind of like they throw you in the deep end? It's like you figure it out and you learn from the people around you, but there's no sort of handholding. I would say that it's a combination of both mm. and that's by strategic design. Mm. Uh, like I said, the structure exists, the blueprint exists, SOPs exist because at Amazon, um, Can, a business doesn't standard run, operating practices, standard okay. operating <laughs> procedures. Yes, procedures, yeah. sorry. They, they, we believe. I still say we. Yeah. It's so deeply ingrained. <laughs> at Amazon, they believe that the business doesn't run on people; it runs on processes, mm. and a document needs to stand for itself. A process needs to be automated. So there's actually a term called hands off the wheel. Okay. Because then there is less dependency on variables that might break at different points of the sprint. So yes, you can start as an individual contributor, and then you can become a people manager as you take on more and more responsibility and lead a team. And the responsibility of the manager is to hire the right people and to develop the right people. So we learn and we teach at the same time. It's really like boot camp. It's mm. a school of Amazon. <laughs> I have a friend who works at Amazon. She was in Italy and now she's she was in the Milan office. Now she's in the London office. And I'm just so fascinated. Every time I see her, I keep asking her questions about it. And she tells me it's basically like a cult. Like you have commandments. Yeah, they're uh, called leadership principles. Yeah. And there's one of them, which is, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was the idea that you... And anyone, wherever they are on sort of the, the, the ladder is allowed to make a decision. They don't have to go to someone else. And the idea is that no, no decision is so big that it can be reversed if it's the wrong one. Yes. What do you call it? It's empowered to. So it's, it's accountability and single yeah. threaded ownership. Yeah. But you have, well, I think that it teaches you really well. And what we did at Secret Skin is that we created a blueprint on the same levers mm. and tools that I had learned at Amazon. I knew what mistakes to avoid. I knew what to start first. I knew what was the downstream impact of the different actions that we were putting down as a part of the roadmap. Mm. I knew that it was really important to insist on high standards and go to the brands that already had a name in the world. Like, for example, if Tom Ford, Lancome, Chanel, La Mer, if these words, these brand names are big in beauty, there are equally big names in clean beauty mm -hmm. as well. And because they had already been through a stringent process certification, by virtue of association, we would also be adhering to those high standards of conscious credibility. So I started, and mind you, this was not a time when Zoom was uh, so highly uh, favored, we were still in February, March. Mm. And uh, I started my clean beauty journey with the Indian brand that we have on our platform. That was our first. And uh, I started reaching out to founders. To, it was really hustling through Instagram. I would reach out to them. I would find them on LinkedIn. I would connect with them on LinkedIn. It would pop up for them that this person's looking at your mm. profile and sent you a connection request. Then they would see INSEAD, check. Amazon, check. Bloomingdale's, check. Female founder, check. Clean beauty, check. Let's talk to her. Then I would uh, chat with them, explain my vision of what we were trying to do, why it was important to do it, why now, and why they should be a part of it. And because there is a huge desire to come into the Middle East for a long time, but they haven't quite figured out mm -hmm. how to do it because you need someone on ground. For them to have a solution of a partner that would do everything and all they had to do was support and enter the market, especially someone who was so passionate and wanting to do something in line with the same values. I think that convinced a lot of the big brands to give a newbie entrant a try. Mm. And what's amazing, and I try to remind myself this when I'm feeling really low, Noor, that they said yes and agreed even before I had a platform. Yeah. What makes you feel low? Like, what are sort of the low points of this journey? So, because being an entrepreneur is new to me, I swing from pure elation to absolute terror very quickly. <laughs> there are days when I will wake up absolutely frozen when I don't want to get up and face mm -hmm. the day. There's anxiety when you go to sleep. You're literally dreaming about it as well because you're worried about funding. You're worried about how you keep your lights on. You're worried about... There's the rational part of you that is saying, Anisha, it's an e-commerce platform. It's going to take time for the digital assets to get optimized. Google rankings will get better. 
This is just a matter of time before machine learning will kick in. It's a new brand. It needs to build trust amongst the customers. You're new here and all the other brands are new here as well. Your PR is great. So it's constantly talking to yourself, mm. not focusing on the negative and thinking about the positive. Reminding yourself that you've come this far in such a hard year mm. without having any knowledge of how to do this, without knowing what the process was involved in order to do business. Because yeah. uh, I never considered myself a businesswoman. And then reading about yourself in business publications, it's it's like you, you really have to take yourself out of your being in order to look at yourself airily. It's quite a, um, how shall I say, it's a surreal experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do worry. And uh, because we're very new, there are days when we don't make any sales. And then there are days when we do really well. And I've been given the advice by my own cheerleaders who have been running their businesses over a long period of time, that when you wake up with that feeling of anxiety, learn to embrace it and get familiar with it so that when it's not there one morning, you will actually notice. And that has started to happen. Is that a good thing if it's not there? Yes. Okay. Because Amazing. then you go to sleep that day thinking, I wasn't worried yeah. today. Yeah, you're like something good, something really good must be happening because I didn't feel that. Actually, even if nothing good is happening, the fact that you feel light in itself is the reward. Yeah. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? Yes, I experienced it at INSEAD. Mm. I experienced it at Amazon. And now I experience it at Secret Skin. Mm. Because I feel that this is like the trifecta that I went through in the last 10 years. Very difficult to do, very difficult to get into very, very strict uh, guidelines and guardrails because it's not easy getting into an Ivy League program and it's not easy getting into the one company that everybody else in the world wants to work for. And it's not easy giving up a meaty corporate role and a regular paycheck to do this, mm. to become an entrepreneur. So I think interestingly, my slate was wiped clean 10 years ago when I got sick. I was very addicted to the superficial because I was younger. 10 years younger, and uh, you feel invincible. And when it happens to you, you're like, okay, let me manage it like a project. Because when people are, <laughs> uh, when people are uh, faced with adversity, they do one of two things. One, they completely retreat. They don't talk to people. They completely slow down. So learning how to smell the roses then kicks in, mm. and they hide, uh, waiting for the feeling to pass and hoping that they will not change at the end of it. The other kind of A-type, alpha kind of people, manage it like a project. They pencil in timelines. I called INSEAD and I said, I'm going to be with you in six months. I just have to get chemotherapy. And then they said, no, I don't. I think you're underestimating how long you'll take to recover. So you let us know whenever you're ready. I was not willing to accept that this had happened to me. And when I finally stubbornly decided that I was going to finish the treatment and take my place back because that seat was waiting for me, I got there and I couldn't cope. The program is a 10-month program, which is very hard. And in fact, even last week, the Financial Times called it the top-ranking MBA program in the world. So it's, it's a wonderful experience, but it's very intense because it's only 10 months. Mm. Not only do you have to build relationships and friendships, you also have to find work and you have to do well and you have to be socially and culturally immersive because that's what the experience requires of you. And if you're still on medication, it takes a lot out of you. I remember, and this is based out of Fontainebleau, which is about 30 minutes from Paris in France. That's where the campus mm -hmm. is. I remember every month I would hop on a train and go to a non-English speaking clinic to get shots in my stomach. And I wouldn't tell anyone because I was too embarrassed because I thought that they would look at me and say, she's sick, mm. which I was. But I was stubborn. And I didn't want to wait anymore to claim my life, to claim my crown, I would say. So while I was there, I felt like an imposter. I felt I was less intelligent. I felt I was less equipped. I felt I was... Uh, Somehow I was shortchanged and that's also an impact of PTSD, mm. which I did not know I was experiencing because I did the 
a lot of cancer patients feel that after the chemo, the cancer is over. No, it's not. The real healing journey begins after. So I rushed myself and pushed myself into the experience saying, I'm going to conquer this. And I started having blackouts because of the chemotherapy. Oh my gosh. So I would have near perfect attendance, but I wasn't able to regurgitate all the learning onto exam papers. So I got called in because I was president of the Retail Goods and Luxury Goods Club. I was on the yearbook committee. I was on the rugby, the touch rugby team. I was doing everything I could because I wanted to feel alive again. And they called me in, in the dean's office, and they said, you're doing too much. And I said, well, you try being in a hospital for a whole year, not being able to see anybody and saying that your whole life is over because you're going through cancer. And then tell me whether you won't want to do everything possible because you don't know how much time you have left. So it's very uh, extreme. So I felt like an imposter. And then they gave me the option of graduating six months later than my class Mm. because they said I needed more time. And I said, no, because I saw that as a sign of failure. I'm very competitive. Yeah, I can see. (laughs) And I said, no. So I would take lessons with PhD students after my classes. And I was on that stage graduating with my class in July 2012. That's crazy. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the story makes you emotional. It's making me emotional. I don't. I have goosebumps. Yeah, I don't tear up easily. Um, All right. And so. Clearly, the way for you to deal with imposter syndrome in that case was just to push even harder and prove to yourself that you deserved to be there just as much as other people did. How do you deal with it in entrepreneurial life? I think that what I, there was a note that I penned down, which I wanted to share with you today on this, Mm -hmm. because I truly believe that every person has to go through something that absolutely destroys them to figure out who they really are. And like I told you, this happened to me when I was sick and it's happening to me again. So during your transformation, you may feel like everything is falling apart, but in reality, everything is coming together for your highest good. So you're being pushed to evolve and get out of your comfort zone so that you can live and experience your true greatness by welcoming change. So all you're going to use, lose, apologies, is what was built for a person you no longer are. So it's a daily practice of reparenting yourself every day and letting go of things and thoughts that don't serve you. So during COVID especially, there's no better time to reflect and protect our inner and outer expansion. So as an entrepreneur, whenever I'm feeling slow and scared, and this happens a lot, I depend on my cheerleaders. And Mm -hmm. it's very important to create the right circle of mentors and people that you can look up to, people that you can aspire to be, where there is a certain psychological safety of being able to be vulnerable because there's strength in that as well. And you have to be aware that if you're feeling helpless, if you're feeling lost, the impediment actually becomes the pathway to action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Mm. So when you talk to people and you struggle to understand how to navigate, they will give you a nugget from their own experience. And you're supposed to interpret that, introspect, and then action it. Mm -hmm. I think that the life of an entrepreneur is every single day you're hustling. You're hustling, you're challenging yourself. You are, you know, in the gym, how your trainer breaks down and tears tears down your muscles Mm -hmm. in order to recreate your new toned fit self. You're doing that mentally. And it's very hard. Some days you feel great about it. And some days you feel, oh, my God, like I'm useless at this. Mm. What if I'm not a good business person? What if my business doesn't make money? What if I lose the investor's money and my savings that I put in? What if I'm not able to pay my people next month? Uh, what if all these wonderful things that people are writing about me, one year later, they're going to write about how we got liquidated because that <laughs> happened to Spree two days ago. No way. Yeah. It happened to Spree two days ago. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think that there are lots of learnings. And uh, for me, the uh, it's even harder because I'm new here. Mm. I don't know a lot of people. Had I launched Secret Skin in India, I would have had a much more organic traction because... Yes. Because of my professional success, I knew the publishers, I knew designers and influencers and models. And I could uh, leverage a lot of the strength of my network 
because I've always maintained that I network quite well. And I needed to, not only did COVID not allow me to meet new people and to build new relationships this year, I was not able to have a, a structure of friends that I could depend on and lean on. Because ordinarily, I would have flown down to Singapore hmm. or flown down to meet my mom or do the things that we normally do whenever we want to feel better when the times are hard. So all I've literally done this year is nurture secret skin. So it's a bit nihilistic. Hmm. Uh, it's obsessive. But like I said earlier, if you don't live, breathe, dream it, it's not going to be successful. Yeah. And if you if you fear, it means you care. How did you go about finding these cheerleaders or mentors? Are they all based here? They're in different parts of the world because mm. I've also lived and worked in different parts of the world. Mm. So some were by virtue of working with them or for them. Some was um, because uh, some, some people I met as a result of my job finding journeys in different parts of my life in different countries. Mm. And I think that for me, I look for people that can train me a, that align with my personal values, who I feel safe with, psychologically safe with. And if I feel my best in their aura, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be with anyone who drains your energy, who makes you feel less. That's your first sign that the person's not right for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to listen to these signs and spot it from a mile away. You know how you get better over a period of time? That's how you find better partners because you have terrible relationships when you're younger because you yeah. don't know any better. And that, that radar gets better over time and you can spot it from a mile away. I think it's the same because your instinct will tell you. The interaction will tell you. For me, I do look for people who are successful in their businesses. But I also tell myself that wealth is not a marker of a life well lived. Kindness is. Open-mindedness is. Fortitude is. So I have a couple of people that I can reach out to here whenever I'm stuck. And also, I think that we take for granted our key life partner, your husband, your mm -hmm. wife. And I think that they have very valid opinions because they see you and they have an objective point of view. Uh, we often take that for granted. And I think that because they want the best for you, there's a lot of merit in considering it. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely agree. I, uh, I lean on my husband a lot. I also respect him very much as a businessman, so that helps. But I'm going to bring you back to the mentor question yes. because it is something that I know a lot of entrepreneurs in the region or, you know, like new business owners or, or first-time business owners have questions about. What are you looking for out of your relationship with a mentor? Mm -hmm. Are you looking for them to problem-solve for you or are you looking for them to sh simply share with you something that they have gone through and then it is up to you to extract from that any wisdom that you can. They're not here to do anything on your behalf. I think it's important to find people who will support you through the hard times and remind you of how far you've come and how much your perseverance uh, has achieved. And it could just be meeting someone at a conference. Mm. It could be you've met someone you go up to them, you tell them that this is why you would love to talk to them about your own journey and hope that they will mentor you. And I think that everyone has good intentions. Whenever someone comes to me for that advice, I will always extend myself. But can I get on a regular pattern to keep mm. in touch with the person and guide them month to month? It's difficult. So we choose wisely and even pay it forward wisely. So two ways of looking at this. When you don't have a startup, you still need mentors and cheerleaders to guide you in your professional journey. In my case, I'm very attracted to female leaders who are at the top of their game, mm. who have uh, built a strong career progression track because I'm very aware of the glass ceiling. And I... I'm very attracted to them because I see myself as them because that's who I wanted to be all my life. And now I look at people, again, successful women entrepreneurs because I'm going through what they went through at the start of their journey. Mm -hmm. So when I would find someone like this, I would engage with them. I would make time for them, hoping they would make time for me. And during the conversation, have a very transparent, authentic discussion about what is 
the what is your what is it that you're seeking? Where do you need help? And uh, more often than not, I think people hesitate to ask. Mm-hmm. If you don't ask, you don't get. I've always been shameless in asking for what I needed. Uh, it also made the person sit up and notice and say that okay, I can help you here. And then it's about respecting the person's time, making sure that you convince them that there is value in making time for you. Now with a startup, you have to be a little more strategic about getting the right advisors on board. In my case, it could be someone who guides us on supply chain, on sell-throughs, on the business aspect of it, about how to negotiate your margins and about about how to manage your inventory smarter. As a beauty tech startup, we're committed to raising the awareness of women's health in this region. We want to use beauty as a small narrative. However, we we want to engage our female audience into owning and managing their health in the region. Mm. So instead of having an out out and out regular influencer campaign that most traditional beauty brands do, we are entering into a partnership with a femtech startup. Um, that focuses on women's health, that makes basal thermometers and fertility app for women. And by doing this, we are trying to reach our audience and telling them about the importance of taking care of themselves, their own health, as well as the planet. So then this sh- the, the, the topic of beauty just becomes a narrative. Mm-hmm. So for this, I have another mentor who actually runs this startup. Mm-hmm. And I think that the you will get a lot of advice because you're new. That advice will could work for them, may not work for you. It's your job to take the good and the bad, to disregard what doesn't work for you and to take forward what does work for you. So you should have the flexibility of picking up the phone and calling them and saying, I'm stuck here. What do you think I should do? Mm. Whether there are questions about valuation, whether there are questions about structuring modalities and instruments for investments, whether there's a question about uh, hiring or structuring a contract or navigating a very convoluted government system that I come across over here being new and how we are structured, I've always found good advice. And so a mentor doesn't mean someone that you will have a lifelong relationship with, but a mentor is actually a friend that you look up to who's also invested in your growth and you have mm. the capability and the ability and the access to reach out to them for help. How much does intuition play a role in knowing what's right and what's not right for your business? Do you, you strike me as someone who is both intuitive, but also quite sort of led by your, your brain and quite a thinker. Which one of these two plays a more important role, do you think, when it comes to deciding what's right and what's wrong for your business? I think you have to be emotionally intelligent. Mm. And women are better at this, I feel. I am very, I would like to think I'm not territorial about Secret Skin, but I am protective about it, as all founders are and should be. I think that we have to admit that we can be wrong and we can learn from it. And if there's some good advice coming your way, then you will embrace it and implement it. But sometimes when you're trying to you learn. I think your gut just gets better. Hmm. You start, I believe in energy. If I leave a meeting feeling completely uplifted, then I know that there is merit in pursuing something. However, I've also been proven wrong where I took an idea that I was excited about to my, my female mentor, the founder of the femtech startup. And she gave me, plays the devil's advocate and gave me an alternate point of view and showed me how it could also become competitive one day, Mm. that it would not serve me. So I think redirection, recalibration is an important responsibility from a mentor's point Mm -hmm. of view. And the more time that you spend as CEO, the more time that you spend as the leader of your startup, the better you get. I've gotten better at negotiating with my brands, the commercial terms. What I started with is not what I implement now. Uh, I've gotten smarter and quicker at doing many things that used to take a lot of time earlier. I think new goals require new skills Mm -hmm. and they require new routines and discipline then plays a huge role, which I I still struggle with. Other other key sort of 
attributes that are really beneficial when you're an entrepreneur are creativity and resourcefulness, especially when it comes to problem solving, right? Yes. So what do you do when you encounter a roadblock? Like what's one, one sort of obstacle that comes to mind that you encountered recently and how did you, how did you deal with that? My middle name is get shit done. Okay. I think this comes from my mom because I was always so competitive when I was younger. What's your star sign? <laughs> I'm a cusp between Virgo and Libra. Okay. So it was, it was so extreme when I was younger that I had to be in the top three in class. Mm. And I think it's also because there was, there was this pressure from my mom that if you weren't in the top three, then don't even bring me a yeah. report card. I think that's where it started from. And I was, my husband makes fun of me because he was always a backbencher and I'm always the frontbencher with my hand up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I have the same attitude at work. My, I always have a great desire to unblock something and prove to myself that I can do it. Mm. So one example comes to mind. In this region... You have to incorporate your company by going through a free zone or a mainland, mm. depending on what your nature of business is. Now, because you're a bootstrapped entrepreneur, having said that, it is really very cost prohibitive to set up a business in this region. I know, yeah. Right? But you go through the whole process, you know, when you're by yourself and you're starting this right from the beginning, you don't have a lot of cash to, you have to be very spartan and cautious. And I remember that a bank, one week before our launch date, a bank decided to deny us a payment gateway, mm. the only payment gateway that we were evaluating. Why? Because I had a flexi desk attached to my license instead mm. of an office. So I remember I got a board printed overnight with Secret Skin. A board as a in board, like a... A signage. Okay. Right? Yeah. This femtech that we're going to partner with, my mentor startup, I hustled and I said, we're going to move into your office and I'm going to take that board and I'm going to put it on the front sign, on the front, and I'm going to take a picture of it because I'm one week away from launch and we just found out. But then I also felt that in the long term, this bank was not going to serve our interests because it would not be commercially viable if they don't understand that even Amazon was started by Jeff Bezos in his garage with his parents' money with a mm. desk. So I had to take a hard business call. Even after I'd gotten the board, even after I got the office, even after everything was clean and we could have gone in that direction, I said no. My launch got delayed by one month. And I said, I don't want to work with you. And I went back to the only highest authority of trust that I knew. Pay for it is an Amazon payment gateway. Mm. So I pulled out my Rolodex, mm. hustled, and got the payment gateway going, even though we launched one month late. But because it's Amazon and there is a lot of customer trust, in the end, it was the right decision. That's awesome. Yeah, good thing you had that Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, it's very tricky. The sort of red tape that you have to jump over in order to register a company here and the whole free zone thing and the costs associated with that are really, really prohibitive for, for new businesses. I know that we struggled with that, for goodness, at the beginning. Are you currently raising capital for your business? Yes, we were supported by a pre-seed raise of $100,000 mm -hmm. before we went live. And now we've just opened up a seed round. Okay. So we are currently fundraising. What are your, what, what's your advice for entrepreneurs or, or your sort of startup owners in the, in the region who are thinking about raising capital have been self-funded so far? Um, I think you have to bound yourself to a hundred meetings game. It's something that I learned in a fundraising accelerator that I'm a part of. What's a hundred me meetings game? By the end of your hundredth meeting, you will have your investment. A hundred meetings? A hundred meetings. Is that, is that? Statistically, you need to do a lot of meetings before you get to a yes. 
Okay. So I'll give you some context. So the ecosystem has historically underinvested in female founders. Mm. From a high of 17% in 2017, it's dropped to 13% in 2020. We need more VCs and angels who invest in women-led startups. Women typically have better emotional intelligence, EQ, and they can show greater, faster growth than their male counterparts. They lead teams better. There's a longer retention of teams when it's led by a woman. Data shows this. But there's an unconscious bias that we are less effective as CEOs. We don't manage money as well. Though no one will tell you this to your face. So it's been challenging, but I remain hopeful that uh, we will get funded uh, when we meet with the right uh, strategic partner who understands mm-hmm. the vision. So for any founder, male or female, I think it's very important, A, going back to what I'd said earlier, uh, have a very compelling, concise story. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're authentic when you're communicating that story to investors. Don't go in thinking you are going to receive a no, but be prepared for it because you have to hear a lot of no's before you hear a yes. And it's very natural to be completely frozen in fear and despair the next day. (laughs) And you will find that it's taking you some time to get back on the horse. So give yourself that time. If you get a no. If you get a no. What I heard was that it's not a yes until the papers are signed. It's not a yes until the money is transferred. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, if you, if, even if you get a yes, it's not necessarily a yes. Yes. So you have to, you know, it's not a, it's not a race. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. So like you train for a marathon, not that I have, but I'm just dispensing the advice that I've been given, which makes sense to me, that over a period of time, you just get better, faster, more strategic. Mm. So the more people you talk to, the idea is to get to the no faster so that and with the intention that they should introduce you to more people. Mm. So yes, there are VCs in this region. There's a lot of dry powder in this region. They're investing in edtech, in fintech. They're investing Sorry, what's in dry powder? available funds okay. to spend and invest, mm. right? You have these reports by Magnet and you have these reports by, Wam, uh, I'm sorry, Wamda, Minabytes, uh, Finbulb. Every day that startups are getting funded. That means that there is a lot of potential for investments in this region. You just have to find the right strategic partner. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of being resourceful. It's a matter of networking. It's a matter of literally living on LinkedIn. I don't live in downtown. I live on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. You know, there are various ways of getting the attention of someone that you want to evaluate your business by. When you're really early, people will tell you that, that come back to us with six months of data. But I think that it's important to say, we may have just been live for two months, but we've been working on this since February because the pilot had already begun. Mm -hmm. The user testing had already begun. The incorporation had already happened. So you need to build a concise story and be able to convince the other person that you know what you're doing because at the end of the day, they want to see domain expertise. Noor, your law... You know, what is your law in your universe? Your word. Mm. And your word cannot be shaky. I know it's very difficult because as a, as a founder, an entrepreneur, you're like an ECG. Up and up down, down, up, down. up and yeah. down. Low lows, high highs. You're never going to be evenly keeled as a straight line. It's going to take some time to get there. I've been told that you never get there. But you just take it in your stride. So the more conversations you have, the more data points you get, the more obstacles you encounter, the more uncomfortable questions you get asked, you start preparing a template of every no and every new introduction that led from that no and every tight answer, convincing answer that was framed as a result of a difficult question. And in the end, by the time that you've done 80 meetings, you will be able to pitch to the right person with a very tight story. So your deck, for example, will go through multiple revisions. I'm embarrassed by the deck that I had in March. I'm embarrassed to go back to the investors that I sent that deck to because now I'm very proud. Yeah. And also PR, startup PR is something that we should not underestimate. So you need thick skin and a really good deck. No, a deck is just a tool. Mm-hmm. You need a good story. Mm. You need to address a gap in the market. 
you need to have the skills that will convince the customers more than the customers, the investors that you know what you're doing. What convinced you that you you were addressing a gap in the market? So over the last 10 years, everything, I've come to a point that everything that I use is clean, whether it's shampoo, conditioner, mm-hmm. deodorant, I'm very mindful of the kind of plastic that comes into the house. What am I recycling? I buy less, so I consume consciously a lot more now than I used to. So I am kind of a role model for myself as a customer because I consume my own service. So when I came here, it was so cost prohibitive and labor intensive to order a product from an aggregator like a Cult Beauty or a Revolve because they're the ones that have clean brands. Or you go directly to the brand site to order something. Typically, you would have to wait for eight days and you spend between $20 and $25, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it comes here, you're on also shipping. paying... On, on shipping. shipping, yeah. By the time it comes here, mm-hmm. you're also paying customs import fee. Mm-hmm. So the overage is anywhere between 55 and 85%. So what I said is that why not bring the best of clean beauty to the Middle East, stock everything here so that the customer can get it the same day, free shipping, and we curate it. That means we become a one-stop shop. Mm. So literally, I did this for myself. So it's like a closet of my favorite things. What are some of the, the brands that people should, should uh, look out for or some of your favorite products that you have on the, on the website? So a lot of people feel that clean beauty brands are not high-performing and they, they don't... Yes, that's true. Right? And they feel that they're not luxurious. So a customer is used to going to a mall and walking into a big department store and buying a, an expensive product with a big name brand that a celebrity endorses without caring about whether it's cruelty-free, without caring about the fact that it's expensive because they're buying the name. That's the kind of thinking and the narrative that we want to change. That was a thought process behind doing the curation. Mm. And also, I wanted to make it accessible because some people feel that clean beauty have to spend more and uh, in order to access it. So with the customer experience, we've broken down all these barriers. We have Shop Now, Pay Later, which is a flexible payment option. Mm. We have free cash on delivery. Uh, you get the product the same day. We have free shipping. So we want the customer to trust us and build that credibility over a period of time. And we can, we can, we're already seeing it. Mm. Customers are coming back to us again and again, to make their second and third orders. So my favorite products that I use on a daily basis from Secret Skin are this beautiful cream cleanser from Ranavat, which is low pH, no sulfates. So none of the products on the website have any toxic ingredients. They're all cruelty-free. They have sustainable supply chains. Mm -hmm. So that's already, the checklist has already been, you know, sort of, it's been wetted. So... Starting from the cream cleanser that goes on your face to the deodorant that you use. We've got a beautiful deodorant, which is like a paste-like deodorant from Canada called Routine. Uh, To this beautiful shampoo and conditioner that gets used uh, as a pair from Mauli from Mm -hmm. UK, which is Ayurvedic formulations, powerful botanic and actives, uh, creamy consistency, no sulfates whatsoever. So traditionally, we've been known to take a strand of our hair and pull on it. And if it gives you a squeaky feeling, that means your hair is clean. But that's not true because it's taking away all the natural oils from your scalp. So what clean beauty products do, because it doesn't foam and there are no sulfates, it protects that barrier. Mm. Apart from that, I really love this uh, UK brand again. It's called uh, Amli. And there is a beautiful daylight oil. And in Dubai, you need it to be a very light consistency that it gets absorbed in your skin. Mm -hmm. So it's called the daylight or the radiance oil, which I use every day. Nice. And uh, instead of using lotion on my body, I use a bitter apricot oil from the Indian brand called Pure Earth. Which the the brand is called Pure Earth? The brand is called Pure Earth. Uh, So it's a beautiful bitter apricot, cold compressed. So because heat usually kills the nutrients. Mm. So it's cold compressed. So you should also be mindful of how it's processed. I think that uh, there's a grown alchemist uh, lip balm, which is beautiful. We have a lot of different shampoos and conditioners. Also from Australia, for example, grown Mm -hmm. alchemist. Uh, We're introducing a new brand from New Zealand, one from Canada. And what makes me really excited to share is that January onwards, you'll have a makeup brand, a big makeup brand from the US, completely clean. Amazing. 
That's exciting. So we do a top to toe offering. We don't want you to go. Uh, we don't want you to cheat. Mm-mm-mm. So you don't need to. Cheat. You want to give all. The, you want to give them everything they need. Yeah. All right. One more question for you before we wrap up. If you're eating, breathing, dreaming, if everything that you do in your life revolves around your startup, how do you maintain some semblance of balance? Or is that not a priority for you right now? So in the beginning, I felt like a hamster in a wheel. I wanted everything done yesterday. A, it's a part of my personality because I'm hyperactive. Mm. And B, I'm very systems driven and process oriented. So I need to get things out of the way. But what I didn't realize is that I was under-indexing on taking care of myself. So now I have to carve out time to work out. I have to carve out time to watch Netflix. I have to carve out time to go to the beach, which really relaxes me, which I know really relaxes me. So I have to force myself to make time for myself Mm. because I have felt burnt out from time to time. And I think that it's also your body's way of telling you that it's not going to function optimally if you don't give it a break every now and then. So it doesn't come naturally. Resting doesn't come naturally, but I make myself do it. Good. So you're getting there in the end. I am getting there. I'm getting better at it. Good. I think the, ol- the older we get as well, the more we realize that burnout and and not having a second for yourself is just it's not where it's at (laughs) I also think that it's important for us to realize over a period of time when I say us I mean female founders Mm. that that it's not about proving something Mm. it's okay if you can't do 10 things today yes the company would be benefited if you did those 10 things today but if you do five things today and do those five things next week Mm. the remaining five things next week It'll be slow, but it'll be steady. And I think I try to tell myself that there's no rush. Yeah, that's a, that was a big thing for me where I always felt like I wasn't going fast enough and I'm always, whatever job I was in, you know, and I, it always made me very impatient and very impatient with the people around me. And I remember I went to see a healer once for, she was here from Beirut and it was actually my first time try, trying Reiki healing and she said, she looked at me, she's like, I feel like I need to tell you about something. And I was like, what? She's like, have you heard of divine timing? And she's like, just by looking at you, I can tell that you need to know about this. You need to understand that there is such a thing as divine timing and that there is such a thing as things happening when they're supposed to. I do believe in timing. Well, for example, I'll tell you something. I'm working on a business with a friend of mine. She's, she's a co-founder on this. And we've been working on it since December 2019. And when we started talking about in in December, 2019, we were like, okay, launch date, April. And we are now in December and we have yet to launch our products. And I keep telling myself, even though part of myself is so frustrated at this supplier and this designer and this person for not, you know, like working at the speed I want them to work. I keep I keep saying to myself, there must be a reason why we haven't launched yet. And when we launch, we'll be the perfect time for it. And that's like kind of like bringing in the spiritual aspect of it or bringing in a different way of looking at it. And that's the divine timing thing, I think. So I will add to that, that you're right. Had I joined Amazon at any other time in any other geography, yeah. I would not have been able to be as impactful as I was because I was unique had I not started Secret Skin now, I would not have been able to leverage this tide of digitization mm. and focus on skincare over makeup. Had I not launched Secret Skin now, I would not have been able to use all that experience from Amazon. Yeah. And I would have continued into another corporate role, not pushing myself and challenging the status quo. And as difficult as it is to launch a business in 2020, you know, there's the pandemic has done something for e-commerce businesses, which is that it's made people who were never comfortable with shopping online, all of a sudden comfortable with shopping online across the region. Um, and I think that's sort of one of the maybe better things for businesses that has come out of this year. Apart from COVID being sort of a catalyst 
for e-commerce businesses to come into the forefront. It's also forced us to challenge the way that we think. We can't be culturally tone deaf to the moment of our times. There is so much strife over gender, race, color, body conformity, so many conversations about female empowerment, about diversity and inclusion, that it's challenging everything that we believed to be true mm. in the past. So I always like to think that we're standing on the precipice between catastrophe and consciousness, and each one of us are responsible to change the general ways of being and challenge what we're conditioned to and what we think is socially acceptable. So this radical thought process is now fueling what's going to be our future. And the faster we adapt, the better it's going to be. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be alive. It is. Thank you so much, Anisha. It was great having you on the podcast. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you. I look forward to chatting with you again. I really enjoyed this too. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it. And we'll see you next week.